Welcome, St. Lucas, to our Office Hour podcast. This is a special edition in which we are excited to celebrate our 10,000 downloads of the podcast. You like us. You really like us. (laughs) (laughs) So your pastors are a little crazy today so you're going to hear lots of laughter and joking um but we're going to kind of dig back into our history why why did we start this podcast anyway y'all do you remember I that mean, was cool a year ago which is yeah that was that was a year ago we we are hit, we just hit our year anniversary of it too um mm-hmm. and it came about when we started our um strategy of of bringing all of our saint lookers around the same practices of learning living loving and leading and so this was a huge piece of our our learn conversation and we want yeah, we- to kind of get out there right get the word out there and and take what we've always done in the classroom, the exegetical work, the exegesis that Bill used to do, and make it so that anyone could listen anywhere they were. Right. That was that was part of that was a big part of the conversation, right? That we had this Sunday night Bible study that was good and deep and rich, but how do we expand it and get it into more people's uh, spheres, right? So yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it created an opportunity, or part of the the strategy was. Um, to release it on Mondays so people could walk with the scripture all week up to Sunday morning. So you've wrestled with it by the time you hear one of us talk about it. It's not the first time you're hearing about it and you don't have to form ideas and have those thoughts right there on the spot, but you've wrestled with it just as much um, as the pastor almost uh, if you've listened to the podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I mean, when we look at our Wesleyan tradition, which is where we're kind of going to go with some of this conversation, scripture is the the foundation of our um, Wesleyan quadrilateral and how we engage with God. It's not the only way we engage with God, but we we talk about it being, um, you know, the primary side of our quadrilateral. And so being able to spend time with scripture is something that isn't something we should just do, but we want everyone to do. So we've wanted this right. podcast to be very scripture centric um, and 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 to to be sure that um you know like like our our roots we're getting scripture in in your hands and it's not just being interpreted through us right and 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 i think the other thing was in what we've seen from it is how do we appreciate the the richness of scripture that that can't be expressed in in a in a 20 minute 15 minute sermon but the, to really appreciate the diversity of scripture and the richness of of the history that it's coming, the people it's coming from, and and the podcast is really allowed for for a deep and beloved and dive into scripture. Um, that there's not a simple reading. There's a there's there's there is a simple reading. There's also a deeper reading. It's really open those doors for people. Yeah, you mentioned the diversity of scripture, also the diversity of teachers, the diversity of voices. So it's your pastors. It's also professors from Candler and. Uh, yeah, so you get to hear different voices because all of our voices and all of our interpretations and understanding are important, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's been interesting because I think what we <clears throat> what we were finding too, especially in this, in the not only with what our denomination is going through, but like what in the world is going through, we've always struggled with, you know, how how do you help people be their own theologian and quit leaving it to the pastors to teach them their faith. And because we we do only have 20 minutes sometimes with people, 
And, and that that's just too short a time for people to really understand the historical context and what was going on in the time and what do the original meanings of the Greek and the Hebrew mean and, and how does that fit in the larger context of who it was being spoken to so that you can then put in your reason and tradition and experience and add that to it to really grow. And I think that's what's been a struggle I, you know, having been in the church so long and watching my, my parents and other people lead the church and then been doing this, you know, for a long, long time myself, <laughs> I realized that we, we, people are not necessarily knowing how to grapple with what is going on in our cultural context and the fast rate of change and how do I make faithful decisions that are grounded in scripture um, and, and scriptural holiness? How do I do that if I don't understand it myself? Like there are so many new things happening and so many new things being debated and so many new things happening in our in our world. How do we come at those decisions and understandings with our own theology and understand our own scriptural holiness as Methodists um, if we don't have the time to teach people about scripture um and and, and that's what's throw, been fun and people throw around words like biblical um right. and so if we're going to use that term of what's biblical and and what's scriptural then we think it's important that we're all engaging with that actual text um you know we we joke about instead of literally reading the bible or excuse me instead of reading the bible literally, literally. We, literally. we want to literally read the bible and not just you know not just what we think is in there um not just what we've heard not just what someone says is biblical and and things like that so right and i think a a, a profound byproduct of of all of that has been so many people who have found themselves looking around at, at their inherited theology going this is toxic like and no that I've, I've now read the bible and it says these things and that's not what you've been teaching me my whole life the podcast has opened doors for people to i i think to deconstruct in healthy ways that have lit, kept um, the good studs to reconstruct a, a more solid faith that mm -hmm. is solidly biblical, but has a, a different. So I think a byproduct has been from that, that has been that, a lot of these people come into a stronger faith. That was going to be my next question is what do you think the byproduct has been? I mean, 10,000 downloads, you know, people listening, people re-listening, people going back, people in, sending it to other people. You got to listen to this. Um, what do you think some of those byproducts are in addition to what Jad just said? I mean, I've heard people, it, it's cool when your intention, it, you know, intentions don't always produce what, what you intended, right? Um, that our intention was for it to be people, for people to be able to engage more in worship. And it's been cool for people to go, I'm engaging more in worship now that when, when people come to worship, um, they have wrestled, they, they are walking in with some pre-understanding or pre or questions or whatever it might be. And so people who are not new disciples, people who have strong faith, people who have been walking this path a long time. Um, it's, it's not, you know, I, there, there are so many different people in so many different places, but even our strongest, most committed St. Lucas who have been here for a long time going, worship is different now when I spend time with the scripture throughout the week in this way. Um, and specifically the scripture that that is coming up on Sunday. So I received an email from uh St. Luca earlier this week 
thanking us for making the lectures and office hours available both visually and um, just just uh, through audio because they were sick and they were just looking for ways to be will be uh, be at St. Luke's and engaged with what we were doing. And so I think that it, it's it's widened our reach as a community, uh, both to those who have never been uh, in the space, but also to those who find themselves unable to be in the space for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. Deep and wide. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, we use the original, when we first started talking about learn, love, love, lead, we use the idea of like, and it resonates with me as a, as a person who played an instrument for a long time. You know, the Bible is that, that sitting with your, your scales and your arpeggios and learning, you know, chords and reading music. And it's that musical theory stuff for me that you have to do on your own. You really have to constantly, constantly practice those skills and, and practice those things on your own when you're a musician. And then I love when we sit together like this and we live it, like, let's talk about it. Let's wrestle with it. Cause that's what you have to do when you're a musician or an actor or a sports person, you know, you have to get with the people who do the same thing that you do. Yeah. And really kind of hone each other skills. Um, and it makes what it does is it makes worship, like we've said, the rehearsal, it's the punctuation. It's like you already know this. It's it's in your it's embedded in your bones. Now let's punctuate it. So you're going to go out and see the world differently because of it. And it's interesting because just last week, um, preaching last week about um, Jesus and Jesus being the center. Um, and we preached on the scripture from the um uh, the boat and the storm when he calms the storm. Like I did a lot of reading and did a lot of studying with what EB said and what we've talked about and reading other people and, um, Huso Gonzalez and, and the whole idea that like, just, you know, a chapter back or early in the chapter, the story of the seeds really spoke to that, you know, mm -hmm. it's that putting it together in ways that makes you see the story differently. Yeah. Right. And, and that is a never ending thing. That's, that's anybody can do that. The Holy spirit can do that with anyone, no matter how many times you read a story. And I think people forget that. Um, we too often hear people say, I've learned everything I can learn. And it's like, oh, no, the Holy spirit's got more to teach you. Yeah. And I think we've, we experienced that. And I think we experienced that as pastors a lot when we were going literally chapter by chapter in Mark, um, that we are jumping around a little bit more and, and doing larger chunks of things this fall. And we, we just did Sermon on the Mount with, with Matthew and we did pieces of John, but that going literally verse by verse, chapter by chapter stories that we go, oh, I know the story. And then you come back to go, wait, I've heard this story a hundred times and I missed that piece of it. And so it is that, you know, it's that, that scales, it's that, um, you know, it, it's, it's those, those fundamentals that aren't the sexy part, right? It's not the part that you are, are, we're not showing up to church to, to, to be able to just read scripture and kind of leave it there. We aren't showing up to music class to just do scales. We are showing up to be part of a big orchestra. We are showing up to be part of the show or whatever it might be in the arts world. Um, but if you haven't done the fundamental work, it impacts what the performance quote unquote looks right. like. If you yeah. haven't done this fundamental 
work of spending time in the scriptures in this way, it affects what your life looks like and how you are portraying Jesus in the world because you haven't actually spent the time with Jesus. Right. Speaking to how the podcast fostered us spending that time, I think even studying the gospel of Mark, like you were just talking about, the four of us as pastors had to say, that it was for all of us the most time that we had spent in that gospel all at one time. Unquestionably. Uh, and it just yeah. makes me think about, we we were doing the podcast when we were doing uh, David, right? Yeah. Like to, to think back to all the way back to Dan and just to hear so many people say, I've been hearing the story of David my entire life and I never looked at this facet of it. I never thought about this perspective of it. And I think that we've seen that in each iteration of, you know what I mean, or each thing that we were studying in the podcast, we've, we've seen people saying, I never thought about this thing this way. Um, right, right. Yeah. Even, even us, like, or at least for me, when Evie's lecture uh, a few weeks ago on Luke, where she talked about the word, word and Luke is not Logos, right? And it, whoa, I sat there and was like, that theologically has so many other implications when I just always assumed it was Logos because I took Greek in seminary, blah, blah, blah. It opened so many more doors. Uh, so then you just, you get, if you go to seminary, but if you don't, you don't get, but we have a podcast that allows for those kind of doors to be open to those ahas. The other thing I was thinking about is uh, now that we're doing Luke, how Dr. Evie has highlighted these, these things about Luke, notice about Luke. Uh, how it helps us think, oh, see, we're named after that. Like mm-hmm. the witness of salvation. Well, this church was planted here to be the presence mm-hmm. of Christ, salvation with this community mm-hmm. and missionally to be the presence of Christ, right? Uh, or the salvation. So to think about, oh, this is this is part of who we are too, right? So and this thing is really cool. Which leads me to our next little bit of a conversation is I have loved in a way that I didn't anticipate how grounded, not just our name, but like our core values. And now our Wesleyan history is so connected and grounded scripturally um, in the gospel of Luke. And by product, because of what Luke does by telling the the past to tell the future, grounded in the the prophets, like like the prophetic word. Um, And I have just really, really, really enjoyed pulling that together and understanding that and looking through history and stuff like that. And, and we're, and let's be, let's be honest, clergy. Um, We set out to talk about Jesus all year because the word on the street in the midst of the Methodist riff, which we try to stay above the fray, we really do. But the word on the street from people who are leaving to start a new denomination and no longer be United Methodist is that to be inclusive is to throw away Jesus and to not be scripturally grounded. And we said, no, that's not who we are. And we're going to dig into it. We're just going to kind of almost prove them wrong by digging in ourselves and and showing and 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 reclaiming rekindling reimagining all of those things our understanding of Jesus and the gospels so let's talk about the methodist church why is it that you all are an united methodist and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of us that are in pain because we've got uh, churches we grew up in or churches our families help serve that are, um, there's not many that are leaving to join the new denomination. 
um, there's less than, I think it's less than 5%, 10% in our conference, but whenever it happens, it still hurts. Mm -hmm. And so we as clergy have to make decisions about why we're Methodists. So, so I'll ask you guys, why are you United Methodists? Why are you staying United Methodists? Cause that's our decision. And, uh, what is it for you? I'll say first, um, and simply grace and community. Um, I, I think that even before, I, if, if you know me, you've heard me say a million times, I was raised in Pentecostal tradition um, that, that uh, poured into me in amazing ways. I think that the things that drew me to uh, the Wesleyan way of doing church and specifically United, Meth United Methodist Church was uh, that, that, that uh, in my experience with St. Luke's, which was my first experience with United Methodist Church, it was a, it was a place where I knew I could ask questions. But then once that was established, I, I came to understand that there was this emphasis on grace and God's grace working in our lives, even before we knew it. Uh, but then on top of that, there's this, um, this connectionalism, there's this focus on the fact that uh, we were meant to do life, do ministry, do all things together, and that we ultimately do all things better together. Um, those things speak to me and in the way that I've seen those things work in the world, I believe that they, I believe that there's just too much more good to be done by how the United Methodist Church does that uh, for me to no longer be United Methodist. It's, 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 uh, those are things I'm willing to uh, fight for proverbially. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> for me, um, a lot of the same. Um, the United Methodist Church nurtured my faith before I was born, born, very much provenient. My mother, third, fourth generation United Methodist from uh, Indiana, North uh, East Indiana, small little town with a small little country Methodist church with farms all around it. And then when they moved to Miami, it was a Methodist church that nurtured her faith. My dad's a totally different story. He ran away from an abusive home and it was a Methodist church that provided a refuge and support and food and a safe house for him to live in. And so before I was even born, the United Methodist Church was nurturing my parents individually and their families um, in a, a faith and theology that is community, that is appreciating diversity. Uh, my mom in, in Hialeah, her church was unbelievably diverse. And my dad, this very, very dirt poor kid, um, and in a fairly affluent part of Jacksonville, um, supporting him and caring for him, and uh, and it's and it is then the church that has nurtured me in my faith and given me given me space to ask questions and to explore and to to have Muslim friends and Jewish friends and LDS friends and um, and and be I can be a Christian and disciple and be amongst difference and it is a beautiful God honoring thing. So um, it's, and, and I have promises. The United Methodist Church supported me through seminary and I have promises I've made to, to continue to support that um, and, and to, to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's huge for me. You know, I, I came to faith at camp um, and I met the love of my life at camp and that's connectionalism at work. Um, and I just, I, I believe in that and, and I want to be a part of what God is doing all around the world 
and in the IMSS church, I, I can be, so. So I should have prepped for this because I could have shown you a stack of disciplines and right. a stack of hymnals um, from my family that goes back to the mid to late 1800s. Um, I can show you my third great grandfather's preaching license um, and his preaching robe and a stole that he wore. Um, so it's it's in my blood, whether I like it or not. Um, and it's fascinating to see because if you go back to my family's history, the majority of my family um, on the Methodist in the Methodist world were in Alabama. And it was in a time when there was still a split in the Methodist world between the, the Methodist Episcopal Church North and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. And um, I have a little bit of everything because um, not every Southern, ev not every Methodist church in the South went with the Southern Methodist church, um, mm -hmm. some for convenience because it wasn't worth doing the work to split and some for, um, you know, for, for standing for things. So I have this smattering of Methodist history in my background. I have the artifacts that represent it of what it looks like when our church struggles with things um, and what it has looked like over, over history. And while all of that is in my blood, while all of that is in my family, um, it's, a, it's still a choice for me to, to have chosen this denomination, to have chosen this vocation, to have chosen to stay here. And um, so the history of the church is one I always look to, to ask the question of um, when have we been the strongest? Uh, when have we been the strongest as a, as a denomination? When have we made the most disciples? When have we, we done the, the best work? Um, and I, I think it's always when we are trying to stay connected and it's when we actually do the work to wrestle with the hard stuff instead of, and that's not just Methodist history, that's Christian history, um, to wrestle with the hard stuff and to stay in relationship rather than just going, you know, I disagree with you. I'm going to go over here. You go over here. And that is definitely a more, what, what did we call it during Love of Matters? More peacekeeping <laughs> rather than the peacemaking work. Um, so all of that to say, I think that we are a uniquely designed denomination, but I think our theology leads us to do peacemaking work in a world that needs peacemakers right now. Um, the grounded in graceness that Jeremy was talking about, um, our, our understanding of a both and theology of, of where diversity, diversity theologically, diversity um, in, in our, our makeup of, of who we invite to the table, which is everyone. Um, so, so I could go on for days about where our theological pieces take us, but I think yeah. there is something in our history to learn from um, that we have not been better when we have made the choice to go, you know, and I'm going to walk away from the table so I can do my own thing. Um, and so I think staying, staying United Methodist speaks to, to our history. It speaks to who we have been trying to be since John Wesley, which was a church going, because John Wesley didn't want to leave the church. Like, no, let's just no, go to the no, very beginning. He didn't. John Wesley actually didn't want to start. He never, he never left. He just right. wanted to go, you know, I'm looking at what's going on here and it's good. And we could do more yeah. and we could be more and we can, we can dig deeper into our theology and who we are as Christians. And, um, and we can spend more time with, with the people that Jesus is calling us to. So. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful, Melissa. I just, 
That's you cool. you speaking to the heart of our faith being how do we grow in the things we believe you know what i mean and while, while staying together like mm -hmm. always that being at the heart of our faith even with the yeah. beginning with, with john wesley and anglican church yeah no that yeah that's great you know it's interesting because i think like jad i feel like i got i was interviewed for a Florida conference, they're doing an article about apportionments. And I'm like, I'm an apportionment kid. Like right. my dad went into the ministry and, and was on equitable salary in a tiny little church. And I went to camp on scholarships and I was in campus ministry and my, my sister and family answered their call through ministerial education funds. And like, like, and every part of my life, I went to a Methodist college and I got Methodist scholarships to go to that college. And I got them because, you know, every part of apportionments, which is a portion that Avery Methodist church gives from their budget um, to the larger global church to support campus ministries and equitable salary and scholarships and camps and bishops and all those things. It, you know, a bishop, a person who became a bishop, she was a DS at the time, apportionment paid her salary, like saw me in a broken space in my life and said, let me show you my college, you know? And it was because of Charlene Cameron that I went to Wesleyan and I had crap grades. And she went to the president and said, this girl needs something. And, and I got a full ride because of this woman who just expressed love for me. And every bit along the way in my call, even in my broken spot, spots, it was people who were funded by apportionments that saved me. So like literally I'm, I'm a product of the Methodist church. But also I stay because I believe in scriptural holiness. I, I like, I'm not kidding when I say, I really do. Don't tell, don't let anybody tell me I don't love Jesus. I love Jesus. Like Jesus and I were in the bottom of the pit. And if it hadn't been for Jesus, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Right. You know, the, the, the power of what we believe as Methodists about grace, I would not be here without it because of the crap I've been through in my life and the stupid yeah. things I've done. <laughs> and it is grace that saved me and has got me thus far. Mm -hmm. But also I look back, I'm like, was listening to you all, but I was looking behind me. I'm like, it's the, it's the social justice of King that believed that we could be beloved community that shaped, mm -hmm. shaped me when I was a kid. And he went to a Methodist seminary. Just yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's my favorite book to kill a mockingbird that you know, that says we got to get in and walk around in each other's shoes to have empathy for one another. It's, and then it's this other poster, um, a, which is, which is literally a road, a New York street road in the middle of a, of a sanctuary. And this idea of personal holiness and social holiness combined in this picture, I got this picture when I was ordained and it's like, this might, that's my, that's it. That's what it means to be Methodist is that the, there's this holy, beautiful sanctuary, and in the middle of it, in the middle of it is the world, and we have to have that crossroads together. And those are the reasons that I am Methodist, is because that's fundamentally what Wesley taught us. And I don't want to be a part of a church that's just tucked away and worried about individual salvation 
for the end time. I want to be a part of a church that's about salvation and wholeness for the whole community right now. Yeah. And, and, and evangelical. I'm like the most yeah. evangelical person, I think on this staff, <laughs> like, like let's, I actually want people to not just know wholeness and God, but I want them to know Jesus. And I want them to know Jesus can do amazing things in them and through them. And so that, that was Wesley, what Wesley was about, that there's always more people to reach. The world is my parish. It's funny. I found, and I wasn't looking for it, but I found, I didn't know we were going to talk about this today. I found a Bill Barnes sermon, why I am United Methodist from 2000. And he of course does his little points. And um, I love this frontier faithfulness is his last point. And I'm like, that's it. That's for me what it is. He said, Methodist had frontier faithfulness, a strong evangelical witness, a willingness to go wherever people were and to do whatever it took to win people to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it for me. That's why I'm staying. Yeah. And and the 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 actual betterment in people's lives and in the community because Methodists were there. Right. I mean, John, that's what John Wesley started. Oh, their their kids don't know how to read. Um, and they're working seven days a week. So let's bring them food and teach them how to read the Bible so they can learn how to read. And oh, th- these poor people can't afford a doctor because only people who have mouth, let's start clinics, right? And like there's actual change that that we we can bring about because of the gospel and all the way to the early 2000s when the bill and melinda gates foundation and the un wanted to solve malaria in africa started trying to figure out what ngos they needed to create started going to these remote places and realizing methodists were already there and said oh would you want to partner with us? Um, It's one of my favorite stories from a friend of mine who was helping me with a different project um, for the conference a few years back. And she's like, okay, so what is it that Methodists are really into? And I said, well, eradicating malaria. And she goes, wait, what? (laughs) And, and she's like, I expected something theological. I expected something, you know, you know, salvation or holiness or whatever it might be. I didn't expect eradicating malaria to be on the top of the list. And a long list of all the things that we are, are because we are connected, because yeah. people have stayed at the table, because we have tried to make the table bigger, um, that, that we have been able to do some pretty incredible things. And even like the uniqueness to... of the way that we do church, us being, you being able to say erad- eradicating malaria is something that Methodists are super into, but it also is holiness. Right. And then also sure that's all of those other things, right? But, sure is. but really thinking about it in a way that, that is actual love to real people in the world and isn't just lofty theological ideas. We are Methodists. We have a method for how we do this thing we call faith. You know, what were you saying, Jack? No, I was gonna say, and even right now, I uh, I'm friends with Christian Allred, who's who's a bishop in Europe. We happen to did a do a thing. But anyways, I just know him. <laughs> friends. But he's often in Ukraine because there are Methodist churches. There were new church starts about 10 years ago and they are still affecting change in a war zone, right? And and it's it's the Methodists that the UN continues to look to uh, because we're there, we have relationships and we are affecting change. That's that frontier, right? Well, it's funny so. because again, looking at the history of St. Luke's, I mean, I mean, 
Bill was always on the front line around the community, speaking up and, you know, building Shepherd Tope, of course, but also speaking up for, for, for domestic partnerships and the serenades concert, you know, giving to Centaur and talking about HIV that was so prominent here in Orlando. Um, and, and St. Luke's was on the periphery or on the front, front lines of that. But then if you go back even farther, I mean, you know, we worry sometimes because we've invited John Pavlovitz and other people that were like, ooh, you know, what are people going to think? We had Chief Justice Harry Blackman speak after Roe v. Wade uh, in in worship, you know, yeah. to speak about his faith and how he brought his faith to those proceedings. And 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 there was controversy. People were upset. We had we had Peter Story come and talk about apartheid in the in the 70s and early 80s here at St. Luke's. This church has been fundamentally what it means to be United Methodist in our community from the beginning. And I think that's what we feel like we're called to do. And of course, St. Luke's is the church and the people decide, but I just, we are so powerfully rooted in what it means to be scriptural holiness and that frontier faithfulness and being a part of bringing the kingdom of God here in our community that I just, I, I, I can't imagine St. Luke's not being United Methodist. Part of who we are. Yeah. Just the fact that there's the four of us here. We're all different, obviously, and in 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 experiential ways as well. And gosh, it, it is only through the grace of understanding who we are as Methodists that that's possible. Yeah. Okay. Now we feel like we should go do Bible study or something. Probably. <laughs> I'm going to write a sermon. I'm ready to write a sermon now. <laughs> I know. There we go. All right. So we will say um, thanks for listening. But if you have any questions about, you know, what it means to be Methodist um, or who we are, we invite you to just kind of ask us and spend time with us. We're going to be teaching some things. Um, October 2nd is our charge conference. Our district superintendent will be here on October 2nd at two o'clock. And you're welcome. As we do some business at the church, she's going to talk about um, kind of where our denomination is and answer your questions. And so we'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, but otherwise, I pray that you find your, your reasons of why not only you're a St. Luker, but why you're a Methodist. Um, and may God bless you in the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.